You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, welcome, welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them that Locked On sent you. And today is schedule release day. I'm your host, your pal in the Kitty Copied Off in Math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL, and the show is on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. So let's talk about the schedule a little bit. I'm not going to go through the whole thing and declare which games I think are wins and which ones are losses or whatever. I'd probably just end up following the betting market. So just looked up who's favored in, in what game and figure it out that way. But there are some interesting things that come out when it comes to the schedule in terms of travel time and, you know, stretches and um, home and road and stuff. We know what the, uh, who the opponents are. We always know who the opponents are. I could tell you who the opponents are for 2022, 23, 24, and, and so on, because it's all cyclical, um, except for, you know, who finishes in what place that year. Uh, so that's like who we, we always knew we were going to Cincinnati. We always knew we were going to go play in Arizona this year, but there is something too. wow, you know, two road games to start the year uh, at Cincinnati and at Arizona. And those are not um, you know, neither of those teams made the playoffs last year. Of course, uh, Cincinnati drafted pretty high, and the at Cincinnati game is really interesting. You know, you've, of course, it's always interesting when uh, Mike Zimmer plays his old team. You've got Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase now versus Justin Jefferson and, and even Patrick Peterson as the, like, old guard LSU guy. Mackenzie Alexander revenge game, Riley Reef revenge game. So there's all kinds of fun angles in that one. Um, and then they go to Arizona, where then you actually have a real Patrick Peterson revenge game. He gets to go play back in Arizona as a Viking which is going to be really fun as you know i mean he was a cardinal for so long um then they have a three game homestead so a two game road streak to start and then a three game homestead against seattle uh cleveland and then detroit and in other years that might look like a really favorable uh, you know, like, oh, Seattle's the tough one. And then, ah, the stupid Browns and Lions. Well, still the stupid Lions. I, I can't stand what the Lions have done this offseason. I think they've made their franchise worse, worse, both short and long term. But, you know, Cleveland won a playoff game last year. They were 10 and six. You know, the Stefanski, the wide zone team, they are in a lot of ways extraordinarily similar to the Vikings and the way the Vikings play. They run the same offensive scheme. They've had kind of similar, you know, the Nick Chubb and the Dalvin Cook thing and similar narratives surrounding like, do they use, you know, do they pass enough and all that stuff? Controversial will go with quarterbacks, guys that are up and down in Baker Mayfield and Kirk Cousins. So that's a really interesting matchup. But the week three Seattle matchup, of course, is a really interesting one as well. Um, You know, the Vikings play Seattle every year, it seems like. That's not all that weird because the Vikings in Seattle tend to finish second place a lot. So they will play each other a lot. And because of the like way the rotation goes, the home away rotation goes, they ended up with a big streak of road games against Seattle going to Seattle. But now everything is cycled back. So the next few times we play the second place NFC West team, we put the whole NFC West this year. Uh, and of course, Seattle comes to Minnesota, but the second pl- or the, you know, whatever place uh, NFC West team that we match is going to be a home game now for the next two years may or may not be Seattle, depending on how they finish. But, you know, of course, again, that's all cyclical. Um, but that it, a lot of people say, oh, wow, you know, we finally they gave us a home game in Seattle. That's always been predetermined. So you have Seattle, Cleveland, Detroit, all in a homestead. You go to Carolina 
play Sam Darnold and whatever's left of the Panthers, and then a week seven bye again. Same bye. So if they can go into the bye better than one and five, hopefully they can come out for the rest of the season uh, and play a little easier that way. On the other side of the bye, they have their first of four primetime games, a Sunday night bout against the Cowboys on Halloween night. That one should be super fun. And then they have the only interesting travel part, I guess, of this particular schedule. They go to Baltimore one week and then to LA the next. So they got to go kind of East Coast, West Coast, but they get to return to Minnesota in the meantime. So it's not like a, uh, you know, a, a West Coast team having to go all the way to the East Coast and being central means that those can only ever be so inconvenient. But that's also a fairly tough schedule. If Justin Herbert takes his second year leap, you know, Baltimore already kind of a perennial playoff team. And then they have Green Bay at home in November. That one always kind of seems to happen in November. It was week one last year, but it, that's the, uh, the, the home game against Green Bay. And then they go to San Francisco to Detroit. So they're going to have another kind of streak uh, four of five road games. Um, we'll see if San Francisco's any good. Of course, I, I have no idea what that quarterback play is going to look like, whether it's Trey Lance or Jimmy Garoppolo. Will Jimmy be good? Who knows? Will Trey Lance be good? Who knows? Um, but hopefully they should be in a decent spot headed into the final five games, which are brutal. Uh, Pittsburgh at Chicago on Monday night football. And the Pittsburgh game is a Thursday night game. So they're going to go at Detroit short week home game against Pittsburgh and then long week Monday night football. So a Thursday night and then a Monday night game. Um, and of course, you know, the Monday night soldier field game cursed as always. And then their second to last home game on December 26th. So no Christmas shenanigans, no Thanksgiving shenanigans this year. Uh, they will have Matt Stafford come back to us bank stadium with the Rams Rams come to us bank stadium in December. And then they have to go play a cold game in January 2nd in Lambeau. And then as always, I guess they round out the year week 18, uh, Chicago comes to town. So the only interesting things to me about this, it does seem like the, the hardest games are backloaded. And that's always interesting because, you know, who is actually going to be good this year really remains to be seen, right? I'm pretty high on the Rams. They could be a really tough matchup. I don't know if Pittsburgh's going to be that good. Does Ben have anything left? I mean, who are their offensive skill players that are like worth being afraid of? You know, that I, it, I, there could be a lot, right? Chase Claypool, Juju Smith-Schuster could totally break out and like have this great season. And maybe Ben Roethlisberger still has some in the tank. But maybe by December, you know, things are falling apart in Pittsburgh. I am kind of writing off Detroit and Carolina. I could be wrong there. I have no idea what to make of the Chargers or if they're going to be good or bad or if San Francisco is going to be good or bad. So, you know, you always look at this kind of thing. And and uh, I, somebody said to me a long time ago that something that kind of stuck in my head, you know, you can go through and you could go, well, I'll, I'll say, you know, at Cincinnati, we'll call it a win. At Arizona, we'll call it a loss. You know, Seattle, well, we lose to Seattle every time. We'll call Cleveland. A d- and you could go like down the road and come up and say, oh, I think they'll be nine and eight. And you probably win two. You shouldn't win. You lose two. You shouldn't lose whatever. Right. But like, how good is Seattle going to be? Should we think of them? You know, every team that was in the playoffs this year is a playoff team next year. Probably not, you know, and so who are going to be the surprising good teams who are going to be the surprising bad teams? We just don't know. So for, you know, strength of schedule right now, if you want to go off of metrics that seem to be stable, like EPA based stuff or wins above replacement, depending on you go for it and see who has the strongest schedule. I've seen a couple of those. The Vikings is like average. But for my money, I would much rather focus on, you know, the Vikings and how good the players on the Vikings will be. And we'll kind of take everything game by game when we get there. We'll have a whole week to break down all of those games week by week. And we'll, we'll do that then. So for the mo- for the remainder of today's show, I want to keep kind of talking about 
rookies. And today's show is going to focus a lot on Patrick Jones, who Patrick Jones is, uh, you know, how he wins, how he loses, and and how he can become the starting edge rusher that the Vikings so desperately need. So we're going to talk about that for a lot of the show. We're going to bring Candace back on and all of that good stuff. Um, but first, I want to talk to you about your car. If you aren't taking good enough care of your car, it can really kind of compound quickly. You know, if you hear a little flutter, go take it in, right? And sometimes those mechanics are going to need you to get a part or order a part in and a lot of times they can upcharge you it might be worth your while to check out rockauto.com and see if you can't get the same part for less money and i'm not talking about like a knockoff version of the part i mean same part same manufacturer same brand and everything but through this third party that might give you a good deal because those uh auto shops are going to upsell their retail customers as opposed to like wholesale buyers that go to one of those brick and mortar auto shops and you know buy a whole bunch of this or a whole bunch of that um they upsell their retail customers so if you want to save a buck, just head on over to rockauto.com. Enter your make your year and your model. They'll sort everything out for you. Make sure you're getting a part that is compatible with your car, supplies that are compatible with your car, and hopefully you can save a buck while doing it. That's at rockauto.com. And at checkout, make sure you let them know that Locked On sent you. If you don't, I'll be forced to do schedule release breakdowns every day from here until season starts. Some sort of Sisyphean nightmare. Please do not subject me to that. Rock Auto, amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. All right, so let's start this Patrick Jones talk, as always, with a discussion with the appropriate college host. Again, it is Candice Cooper, who we had on yesterday to talk about Chad Surratt. Th- Candice, uh, thanks so much for coming back. So let's talk about Patrick Jones. And as of this interview, I guess I haven't done most of the research for the episode, so I don't really know where to start. So can you point me in the right direction with just like the basic kind of general overview of Patrick Jones as a prospect? Well, you know, Patrick Jones, I think Pittsburgh in general, you know, shout out to Pittsburgh for the fact that they got six guys more than anyone in, I don't consider Notre Dame, they got the most guys in the draft (laughs) for the 2021 season. And listen, Pittsburgh didn't exactly have the world's greatest season, right? But if you think about the talent that they were able to produce, Patrick Jones is an earned consensus All-American, and he is someone that has earned his keep right? Being ACC defensive lineman of the week several times Mm -hmm. throughout his career. And I think time and time again, he's just someone who is, you know, for lack of better, a dog, like his tackling, his ability to get to the ball, his ability to just really make guys feel his pain whenever he does wrap them up and get to that quarterback. It's just something that has carried him throughout, again, like I said, his career. And not for nothing, again, playing for Pittsburgh, where the team, you know, the, the defense wasn't exactly known for being friendly. He has definitely made his mark, you know, through the ACC. So what's his, uh, like, preferred style? Is he a, a kind of get-off, bend-around-the-edge guy? I know he's more known for, like, inside moves versus outside moves, right? Like, that's kind of how he he prefers to win. Like, yeah, I guess what's his style? Yeah, I would say Styles more getting off the edge. He's been he started uh, all eleven games this season at defensive end, and he got forty four tackles and thirteen tackles for loss. And I think that he's someone who just really you know quick off the hop is going to easily do his best to try and disrupt the offense and disrupt the plays whenever he can. Yeah, get off's always been a huge thing for Zimmer. Um, you you know somebody that can either mm-hmm. time the snap or just like have a lot of explosion. Um, so I, hopefully we can get that with, with, uh, Patrick Jones and, you know, get some more, I guess, versatility in his arsenal. That's what you always want in the NFL level. Right. No doubt. 
so that interview goes on to talk about Jalen Twyman, and we also talked about Christian Derrissaw uh, when we recorded all those. So um, I will probably get those to you tomorrow or something so that you can hear all Candace's thoughts on the, all the other ACC people. We didn't get to Janarius Robinson. That was it. Um, but let's talk a little bit about kind of the stuff that she said there. The big thing that stood out to me was his getoff. And that is, I think, the defining trait of Patrick Jones is that he gets quick off the snap and he gets upfield very, very quickly. And there are a lot of times when it looks like he's timing the snap, which is probably going to be a little harder to do in the NFL. They probably are better at disguising that, although I actually don't know that for sure. Um, But it looks like more that he's timing the snap and not that he's like winning with some sort of explosiveness or athleticism. And he didn't jump very well in his testing. He didn't do the broader vertical jumps, which are the things that usually... um, that like translate to explosion off the snap, but he plays with explosion off the snap. So I kind of don't care. There is a, a lot of tape of him exploding off the line and playing well uh, and getting upfield. The problem is that once he has kind of gotten himself to that good position, when you're a defensive lineman, if you explode upfield and you get upfield way faster than the tackle can account for, you're in a really good position to basically force that tackle to do a bunch of unfavorable things. Either they flip their hips and turn all the way around and they just start trying to push you upfield, in which case they're really vulnerable to inside moves or other certain counters. They could lunge, which if you can get around that lunge, you've basically embarrassed them and you've got a free path to the quarterback. There's a lot of great ways once you get into that position to kind of cash in on the work that you did to get there. And that's what Patrick Jones can't really do. Now, he had pretty good production at Pitt, but he had a lot of trouble. I think he could have really, really done a lot better for himself if he had a few more tools at that point where, you know, it's he's it, it, I think I talked about this when I talked about Quiddy Pay as well. And I think they compare to each other in not the most favorable way, because Quiddy Pay, the whole deal with him is he's got a high ceiling, but he shares all these problems. And Patrick Jones doesn't have that same athletic ceiling. I do think his ceiling is higher than his athleticism would like like imply, but it's not quitty pay, right? But they do have that thing where they can get off the snap really well. They can get into a really good position, but they just don't know how to turn that into actual measurable production. And there's a few theories that I have, a few suggestions that I would have, at least a few things that I think if Patrick Jones gains this skill or that skill, and you know, you decide which one's easiest to give him, um, that he can kind of become a pass rusher that's worth putting on the field, you know, as a three down player. And that's ultimately the goal here is for him to be a late third round pick that becomes a three down player and basically makes up for the fact that you didn't draft any defensive lineman before him. And you took a quarterback over Joseph Asai and all that stuff and, and kind of let the edge rushing group be this competition amongst Weatherly and Wanham and now Patrick Jones and like Janarius Robinson, although I think he'll probably need a red shirt year a little more. Um, you know, if, if, if Patrick Jones can pay that off, then the Vikings look like geniuses, right? So we're going to talk a lot about, in the last segment here, about how he actually does that. So now that the schedule is out, you all probably have gone through and done your version of the, are they going to be, you know, eight and nine, nine and eight, maybe they get 10 wins, maybe they only get seven. And if you feel super confident in that, I invite you to lay down a wager. Go to betonline.ag, you can uh, sign up for free, it's free to make an account, and when you actually deposit money to gamble with, you can even get a 50% welcome bonus by entering promo code Locked On. that's L-O-C-K-E-D. O-N, all one word, and that means for every 100 bucks you put into your account as part of your first deposit, you get 50 extra bucks on top of it. That's free play money, my gift to you at betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Okay, so Patrick Jones 
is a an explosive guy off the snap that doesn't really know how to like turn that into production, right? And that sounds a lot like a project. And I would, I guess, call him a project, but he's not nearly as much of a project as like Chaz Surratt or Kellen Mond is, who we've talked about this week as well. I think he's a lot closer than those two guys. And I actually, as I researched him, I came away a little bit higher on him than I was on uh, the initial night that we drafted him. I think I get it. And that explosive get-off is something that's difficult to teach and really easy to you know, turn into an advantage. So there are a couple of things that he does that I I don't really love. A, he's got this like kind of go-to move, which is a club and then a swim over the top. So he's six foot four, fairly tall. Um, and, but he only has 32 inch arms, so he doesn't have a reach advantage. So he's not like a length guy like DJ Wanham is. Um, so he likes to go over the top of offensive linemen. It's a good thing for somebody with that build. It makes a lot of sense, right? Club the arms out of the way and then swim over the top of them. Usually he's doing a swim move with his outside arm to attack their inside shoulder, if that makes sense. The biggest problem I have with him is with his hand fighting, it is very autopilot. And what I mean by that is so, you know, if you think about a club and that just means, you know, trying to swipe the offensive lineman's arms out of the way so you can get a favorable engagement with them, um, he will try to club no matter what. It's almost like he kind of learned, like he just drilled it over and over and over again. He will club whether or not the offensive lineman has given him hands to club at. Because the smart offensive lineman will be very patient with their hands. They'll they'll shoot their hands out late. So when Patrick Jones clubs, if he clubs at nothing, well, he's just basically taken one of his arms out of the equation entirely. And now the offensive lineman gets a really good engagement on him. They can now they can throw out a punch kind of freely, knock him off balance and then, you know, he he loses too many reps that way. And it seems like he just learned, like he just sat in his backyard or he sat at practice in high school or college or whatever and he just went like, okay, club and rip, club and rip or club and swim, club and swim. And he always starts it with that that club move um even if there's no hands to swat at. And so he needs to get out of that habit. He needs to not be automatic about that. And the other thing that causes is it causes that club to not exactly be like a targeted strike at arms. It's just kind of part of the dance move. It's like learning a dance move where it's just this like kind of muscle memory. And so it doesn't come out with a lot of force. It's not this like targeted attempt to get rid of their arms so that you can execute the rest of the pass rush move. It's just sort of, you know, eyes closed, autopilot. You do this with your arm and then you do that with your arm. And so he needs to learn to not be as automatic and to really club with a purpose And that might sound like pass rushing with a plan. I kind of want him to pass rush with a little bit less of a plan and to be reactive, wait for their arms and then react to what the offensive lineman does. Let the offensive lineman throw the first punch. If you watch some some of the like most established veterans in the league go against each other, you know, a 30 year old tackle versus a 30 year old edge rusher. It's been in the league forever. They will like wait forever to do the first engagement because the person who makes that first move is going to be at the disadvantage of the other person being able to kind of uh, swat their hands out of the way or club or, or, you know, swipe or like do whatever hand fighting stuff. A lot of that hand fighting, a lot of it is kind of a game of chicken is who's going to make the first move. Patrick Jones always falls into that trap. And if he can learn not to and then re kind of calibrate the way that he hand fights, he'll have a much better, easier time kind of converting those good positionings into actual wins. He could also learn to, you know, bend underneath those guys a little bit better. He's six foot four and he doesn't get low very well. And that's a tougher thing to teach. That's just like a flexibility thing and an athleticism thing. He might just kind of not have, um, but if he could learn to, you know, bend underneath guys, then, you know, you can throw all that hand fighting stuff out the window. Just get, be a speedy guy that gets around the corner. That's your style now. I think he would be really good at speed to power, where again, screw the hand fighting, right? Screw all this finesse stuff, get off the snap really quickly, 
get a guy to have to come up field with you. And then as soon as you've got them on a bad base, because you went up really, really fast because you have that talent, then you just cut right into them. And that's where you transition your speed into power. This was Everson Griffin's game for a long time. This is one of the first things they had Daniel Hunter doing here. Um, and I believe Hunter even had it at, at LSU. It was like what he came into the league with. So it's a very, it's a, it's a, it's a Patterson classic speed to power, just get up field and then bull rush right into a guy. And I think he has pretty good pass rushing power, even though he kind of bombed his jumps at his pro day. Um, I, I think he has, he, he plays with power that can, uh, you know, if he can get his, his hands on your shoulder pads, he can control you. He can push you back. He can, um, then, you know, he can sort of win the rep from there and start to collapse the pocket. And there's a lot of really good wins against quality opponents of, his, uh, on his tape of him doing that in the ACC. Um, so what I really like the most about him though, is all this learning is all well and good, but if you can't get on the field, then you won't be able to learn, right? You got to find your way under the 53 and as a third round pick that shouldn't be too hard for him but you've got to find your way you know to be active on game day you've got to find your way into pads to get the reps that you need and to get pass rushing reps you got to get in on first and second down and if you want to be in on first and second down you better be competent in run defense and i love patrick jones run defense um a i think he knows what he's looking at in the backfield this is again very similar to quitty pay and kind of the the reason i thought that quitty pay will come along and i still think so uh, very much so with indianapolis um, with with Patrick Jones, he knows what he's looking at, right? Now, the ACC has a ton of read option quarterbacks. Derek King at Miami, Ian Book at uh, Notre Dame, so on and so forth. They went up against a ton of read option, and Clemson ran it a bunch too um, with, with Trevor Lawrence and, and Travis Etienne. And so when he's the read on read option, he does a really, really good job of holding up, being the contain guy, which is his assignment against that uh, that particular play. And then when he plays contain, the read on that is to hand off to the running back. So he's basically saying, okay, you're going to hand off to the running back and it becomes a run up the middle, which I'd much rather have than, you know, the quarterback uh, having a, a free lane to the outside, a free, uh, you know, path to the edge. And then he crashes down and he squeezes that space so, so, so quickly to take away the gap that he basically lured the other team into thinking that they had. That's really good. And he also uses that explosion to knife through gaps a lot of the time. He's a very good penetrator that can get into the backfield and wreak a little bit of havoc. I think being sound in run defense and, and when he's asked to set the edge, like physically, he can hold up too. he can hold his spot pretty well. So I think that having that skill, being good at run defense, justifies putting you on the field on first and second down. So you don't have to just be a pass rush only, you know, get in on third and long only kind of guy. That's what like Hercules Mata'afa is going to be. And that's why Hercules Mata'afa is never going to be able to be, um, you know, to really truly realize all this potential because he can only get in on third down. So he can, you know, rush and be an agility rusher against somebody's center. He'll always be a sub package player. I don't think that's the future for Patrick Jones. I think there's a world where Patrick Jones becomes that three down player if he can learn those skills and he'll get a lot of chances to learn those skills because he's going to be in on downs where it's possible for the offense to run the ball because he's good at that stuff. He's a threat against the run, not even just like a guy that you can't quite target, a guy you maybe will look elsewhere. He's not hiding. He is a threat that you have to account for against the run. And I think that is the most exciting thing about him to me, his get off is great. And a lot of guys have get off and that's probably going to be a more important talent for him. But turning that into production is going to be a lot easier. I'd much rather have a B plus pass rusher that gets in on three downs than an A plus pass rusher that can only be in on third down. You're just going to get more out of that, that first guy. 
So that's where I think Patrick Jones can really come. Now, I, I don't know if that comes day one, and I'm still very, very worried about their pass rush early on. I still think they need a free agent like Ryan Kerrigan or whoever, um, and, and I think they should be pretty urgently trying to get that done if I were them. But I think with Patrick Jones, especially as a third-round pick, I see very easily the path where he becomes a three-down player and a true starter, and as a third-round pick, that's a slam dunk. And I have a really hard time seeing... Uh, like a only sub package guy or him, you know, never get it being better than Patrick or than like Jalen Holmes or whatever, because I see the floor immediately. I see the immediate impact he can have. He can come in day one and at least be good at the fundamentals. And then as a pass rusher blossom over time, I just, I, I, can see very easily how this works out. That's not a guarantee that it does. It never is, right? There's obviously a world where he just never comes along and he never gets better than he is right now. And then that wouldn't be good enough. But it's very easy for me to envision that path for him. And that's why I come away a little bit higher on the pick of Patrick Jones than I was uh, on uh, Friday night of, of day two of the draft. So uh, tomorrow is probably going to be a lot of interviews, uh, a lot of scraps with what we talked about with Candice. Um, and a lot of, uh, I also talked about Wyatt Davis with Jay Stevens, who does Locked On Buckeyes. Um, and I also talked on Locked On Iowa about Amir Smith Marset. That won't be on this show. You got to go listen to that show for that. But we talked a little bit about him and Nate Stanley. So uh, make sure you check all that stuff out. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. And the show is on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. See you all tomorrow. And as always, skull.